You are tuning in to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. After you finish listening to it, why not take a moment to listen to one of the most recent episodes? I'm sure you'll enjoy it. This is Tommy's Outdoors 65. I wanted to record an episode about hiking for a long time, especially like a serious multi-day hiking. So I was really chuffed to have an opportunity to talk with Victoria Lifshitz about multi-day backpacking. Victoria is an incredible lady. She's a serial tech entrepreneur in Silicon Valley. So you all probably can imagine that means pretty hectic lifestyle. She managed to transform her life after discovering a multi-day backpacking. So in this episode, Victoria will walk us through her journey from a stressed, busy, out-of-shape newbie to conqueror of major trails. She's also going to share a few tips and tricks, both for, for beginners or people who just want to start with backpacking. But I'm also sure that more advanced backpackers will find something useful in that episode. So, ladies and gentlemen, multi-day backpacking with Victoria Lifshitz. Just after this short message. I want to ask you a favor. To help me with the podcast, please leave a five-star rating on the app or the website where you are listening to me right now. And if you want to go the extra mile and help me even more, leave a review. And now, please enjoy this episode of Tommy's Outdoors. Welcome to Tommy's Outdoors. It's it's a pleasure to have you on the on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. Listen, the first time I I, I heard about you, uh, it it sparked my interest because you are a very busy person. You're a serial entrepreneur, and then you developed this uh, passion for multi-day backpacking trips. Tell us, like, how did that happen? Was it was it like a need of kind of going away from the busy life, or was it something else? That something was kind of you felt like something is missing. Oh gosh, I got so lucky to discover backpacking. That was my salvation. <laughs> um, mm. Yeah, it's it's actually a fairly recent discovery. I have started backpacking about three years ago. Um, yeah. And I was at the point in my life where um, I have, uh, well, I've been sort of crashed and burned from just all the, I guess, accumulated stress of uh, mm. running businesses, raising kids, seeing my marriage um, sort of uh, you know, fall apart, you know, trying to rebuild from there. Uh, coming off uh, uh, finishing one of my entrepreneurial ventures, uh, you know, struggling to, uh, to make another one take off. And it was just, it was just a lot. Um, and I was looking to, I was looking for, for a while, actually, for, for, for something to do to take my mind off of um, work and off of tech, um, also to get more fit, lose weight. 
Um, and I tried gym and I tried this and I tried that. None, none of it really, really sticked. And then completely by accident, um, I have heard about three of my uh, much younger friends uh, mm-hmm. excitedly babbling about John Muir Trail. And I didn't know anything yeah. about that, and so I, I, I just got to got to got curious about what they were so excited about, and turns out that they just want a permit to go and hike John Muir Trail in the in the next few months in the in the upcoming summer, and yeah. um, I got curious and learned that uh, John Muir Trail is this iconic long distance high Sierra. 211 mile um, uh, route and uh, permits are extremely difficult to find and, and, and they were able to, to secure one. There were a um, uh, permit for four, there was three of them and they were looking for the fourth partner. And I was like, wow, right. so what are going to do? And then I learned that they're going to go take two weeks off, 16 days, and they're going to you know put on their backpacks and disappear from civilization for essentially 16 days. And uh, that all sounded just absolutely fascinating. And um, yeah. nobody was to recruit me. Um, I was elite couch potato. I have not uh, probably walked 10 miles in the previous 10 years. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> but uh, I'm a sucker for kind of impossible. And this, this seemed like a completely impossible thing. I think they were off their rockets. Um, yeah. and I, uh, uh, and that fascinated me and I started reading about John Muir trail and I started reading about backpacking and then I kind of begged them to let me be the fourth one. And they asked uh, very politely, Victoria, do you know what you're getting into? I said, I actually have no bloody idea. Um, and, <laughs> that's, uh, a, that's, and, a, that's a best, that's a best start. What you, what you're getting into? I have no idea, but I'm in, <laughs> I love it. Right. Exactly. And so they, you know, they, they, they said, okay, so here's the deal. We have five months to go. If you feel so strongly about this, take up a couple of months to train, and then we're going to go at the end of May to like a training hike. And if you think that you could do it and we could see that you are, uh, you know, you can do it, then, then you can be on the team. And I said, all right. And, and, and then that's my passion for backpacking was born. Well, I, I started trying to climb like everything that I could see every weekend, every Saturday, every Sunday, you know, time of the work, I would, uh, I would try to climb some hills. I felt horrible at first, but, uh, uh, you know, the amazing thing about us, we're so adaptable. Um, and, you know, soon enough, uh, I, I started making progress, climbing bigger hills, making some distance, carrying better weight, passed my test two, two months, uh, you know, into it. And I was, uh, you know, accepted in a, in a, in a crew, so to speak. Um, and then, uh, you know, my first real backpack. Was it like experience. a sort of a formal test? Sorry, was it like a sort of a formal test that, that, or was it just like a casual? These guys would say like, "Hey, well, you know, four of us went on a day hike. It was fairly intense. Okay. We had to, we had to make, I think, something like twelve miles with quite a bit of elevation change and like full backpacks, and um, you know, I could keep, keep up with with like reasonable speed, and and that was the test. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, and and then I proceeded to join them to hike John Muir Trail, and it was truly a, a completely transformative experience. I think I came back, you know, quite a different person, and it, and it changed uh, it it changed a lot of perspectives for me. Did you have any any uh, problems in 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 fitting that that training in your busy schedule? Because I I presume. Uh, you know, I, I kind of know from the experience, my own experience, and other other people that I know that often uh, the biggest 
obstacle for people who are uh, have such a busy lifestyle is that once they get into their day off or once they get into their weekend, they're absolutely spent after the whole day. And the last thing they want to do, they want to go into some sort of a physical activity. Was that difficult to kind of get yourself going and instead of, you know, the usual sitting around and watching TV kind of, uh, because it's a kind of dramatic change, right? That's this, this training that you're describing. Certainly had been well. Well, well. In my case, first of all, I'm. I'm. Uh, I do have obsessive personality, and if I get into something, I, I get into something. It's like full, full, full. Mm. You know. All. And so I unfortunately don't have a concept of a hobby. You know, anytime I try to to take on a hobby, it's very very quickly turned into you know this fairly obsessive thing. Um, mm-hmm. And the time was right. And, uh, you know, I started, I started hiking, um, and, uh, it just felt so right. And it felt so good, uh, that I wanted to do, you know, more of it. And so, um, I've been, you know, quite busy. I'm always busy. I, you know, it wasn't really competing with TV at this point in time. I have not had TV in my house probably at least for maybe 10 or 15 years. Yes, uh, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that I'm not the only weirdo without a TV. You know, do you get this when you tell people that you don't have a TV? They go like, "What? How? How good?" It's like, yes, yes. You know, I since I moved from from my parents' house, which was like I don't know, 20 years ago, I never had a TV anywhere where I lived. And people are like, "What? What you doing with your free time?" I was like, "I trust me, I have too little free time." You know, I'm always busy. Yeah, it definitely didn't compete with leisure well it competed with work and you know thanks goodness it won i think first time in my life i started to have perspective that there is life and it literally the notion of you know work-life balance go balance it really first time on a on a forefront um i was a little bit lucky also well i I was the fresh empty nesters uh kids have had you know i have three kids and i have grown Mm -hmm. up enough that the youngest left left for college and so mm-hmm. a lot more time with you know all that going on. Right, right. Okay, so so and I suppose this is this is it that uh, with such a busy lifestyle, then you kind of uh, kind of let in something new. And and uh, Victoria, I'm telling you, people who have these obsessive, like I said, obsessive personalities, these are people <laughs> who most often kind of. <laughs> getting the best results because of that drive because of like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna be doing and, and i and i totally get it uh because because i kind of like similar to you there's like if there's something that interests me i go completely mad about it and it's like yeah no i'm just oh, yeah, doing yeah you know you have to contrast it with like what victoria's lifestyle was up until that moment and what it was is that for you know for many years as i was building my building my business i i ran on three and a half hours of sleep a night for like years oh god damn that's bad oh it's terrible oh it's terrible take from the authority on sleep deprivation like don't do that um Yep. And, uh, and so it was by then I, 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 I kind of knew that I, that I needed a better balance and better perspective and something else in my life. And, and it, I just was surprised to discover that mountains was it. And, you know, as I was, uh, as I was preparing for John Muir Trail, there was a very simple driver and that was like survival. Okay. I sign up for yeah. this thing and now I have like five months to, you know, make it alive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yes. I'm not a pretty good motivator, but when I, 
when I came back, I had a completely different motivation, you know, from that point forward, uh, backpacking uh, and spending time outdoors became a big part of my life. Uh, and I've learned to incorporate it so that it, uh, you know, coexists with my, mm-hmm. uh, my other interests and my career. Uh, but I yes. think now it's not so much survival driven. It's driven by many other things. I want to become confident in uh, my outdoor skills. I want to take bigger and bigger and more ambitious projects. And it's just a joy of learning, um, I think, is, yeah. uh, is yeah, both, both learning the new skills and, uh, and then going on these amazing adventures. Uh, I've been in yeah. uh, Patagonia, Peru, climb Kilimanjaro. Uh, spend wow. uh, you know uh, quite a bit of time in Sierra Nevada, Colorado, Arizona, uh, and uh, there's just uh, you know those are. And then how many how many years it took you to to achieve all those all those uh, uh, you know to visit all those trails that you just mentioned? Well, how, how long? It's been uh, it's been only like you said less than three years uh, since I heard less about, than three years. Yeah, I, I think I heard about. Wow. Just, around like april 1st three years ago that that kind of entered my uh-huh. life not that, that not that long <laughs> yeah wow wow so and listen is it like multi-day uh backpacks is is this the thing uh or are you also enjoying like a you know like a one day hike or, or day hike somewhere or is it only something that you treat as as training of sorts, and and only those multi day backpacking trips are like really air quotes proper ones? <laughs> well, I do enjoy hiking. I do enjoy day hiking. I do quite a bit of this. Some of it is just you know pick up my my, my dog uh, and mm-hmm. uh, go disappear for a few hours. Some of it for training. Some of it great time with friends, mm-hmm. but. In uh, in the greater scheme of things, it's really kind of disappearing from the disappearing from the society. And it's almost like I always have this um, I don't know metaphor. Uh, there's kind of a you know normal life, if you will, social mm-hmm. life, life, mm-hmm. and then there's trail life. Those are two uh-huh. completely different universe, you know, universes. And like a a parking lot at the trailhead is like a portal. You know, and you and you arrive yeah. at that port, and, and and you are your normal like social, you know, city city bound self, and then you you know you're out of that car, you know, all dressed up in a in a, a trail attire, and you put on your uh, your backpack, and you you know close the, the the car, and you step on the trail, and you walk through the portal, and now you're you're in a completely different land, governed by completely different different you know rules and laws. And, and and now you're in this in this in this magical experience, and uh, you know eventually you have to come back and you walk through the same portal, and you know you, you turn back into into civilian, and and that's, mm-hmm. that's sort of my way of thinking about it, and I just love this trail life. Yes, uh, and is it is it like a, a sense of community of people who who are doing the similar thing, or is it more of just being in in, in nature itself? I think it's a little bit of both. A fair amount of uh, backpacking I do would be with others. Uh, some of it with my very close friends. Uh, you know, the three people that I joined have become very, very close friends of mine. One had been, the other two I kind of met in that process, and, and we're all four you know, very close friends now, and we backpack regularly. There is other people that I backpack with. Um, sometimes I join other groups. 
Uh, but I also spent a fair amount uh, hiking solo, and uh, oh. and I love that experience as well. Right, right. Um, so t- tell me, if if someone is listening to this right now and they go like, well, I would I would love to. I would love to try. I would love to start, you know, and they're kind of um, can identify with a busy lifestyle and I, I need something that sounds perfect, but perhaps they don't have, you know, such a driven personality. What would be advice for, for them, like from you, you know, and, 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 the, and the question is very broad because starting from, you know, what advice would you give in the sense of kind of like mental process almost, down to what what exercises you do, what you do, you know how you how you get your body to the point where where you can where you can you know take on some bigger challenges. Well, I, I you know this, this question is perfect, uh, and it's perfect for well for two reasons. Number one, kind of having gone through this extremely steep learning curve. Um, in, uh, you know, changing physical shape, I've, I've, I've lost, uh, you know, well over 40 pounds, you know, in this, wow. in this two and a half years, um, and, uh, you know, becoming, you know, as fit as I've, as I've ever been in, in, in my life, although hopefully, you know, more, more better stuff to come, um, tuning my gear from something that was my base weight on John Muir trail, I think was around 25 pounds. And now the same trip, it will be less than seven. Uh, <laughs> And then uh, uh, just acquiring, a, a, you know, a lot of skills. I've learned it on a very condensed learning curve, uh, which uh, I was very lucky yeah. to do for two reasons. Number one, there were people who would teach me, and those were my friends, and I could join them. I really sort of crushed their yes. body. Um, and if that wasn't the case, then it would be a lot harder for me to figure out really which end is up. Um, yes. I walked their adventure if i had to start planning you know my own adventure from scratch i I wouldn't know and and i never this simply never would have happened um and the other like i said this this obsessive personality you know it's not for everyone and may not be the you know frankly the best way to to acquire something like that so there's definitely a way to pace yourself and if i you know were giving advice to others which i do all the time because i turn into uh, kind of, I don't know, evangelist of sort for, you know, the importance mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, spending time outdoors and, 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 you know, diversifying your, you know, life experiences, if you will, uh, with something as authentic and, and amazing and transformative as, uh, as, as, as backpacking. Uh, I certainly would not recommend John Muir Trail as your, you know, very first hike. <laughs> there are, there are many ways. <laughs> Kind of a, you know, what do they say? Uh, crawl, walk, run. Um, Acquires mm-hmm. and a much more, you know, graceful and, um, uh, you know, reasonable scale. And I'm happy to, you know, share some some advice and perspective. But I also want to say that this led me to, you know, a, a yet another place. I am so so. I, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Over over the years, I started a number of different companies, and they were you know different companies, and um, and at every stage of my life, um, I, I started altogether eight companies of, over the years, wow. um, and they've kind of reflected what I was into right at at, at that stage of my life. Uh, my, my very first business was actually uh, a professional chess academy, of all things. Um, and then my, you know, previous company. So, say it again. It, 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 it uh, cut you off for a second. Sure. 
I think yeah. I think where, we have a delay in our conversation. What was your first business that you started? The first company. Yeah, so the the very first company that I started was uh, actually a professional chess academy of all things. Wow! Um, wow. <laughs> yes, uh, we've we've built me and uh, you know and my at my and my husband at at the time we were both professional mm-hmm. chess players and and coaches and uh, wow. we just just came to the to United States. I was twenty. I had a, a you know two and a half months old daughter. Uh, we somehow needed to settle in, in, in this country and, uh, it was 1991. The recession was just terrible. Uh, I needed to go to school, but we also needed to, to make money. So we, we started a, you know, chess school, chess academy and, and it, it, it made it all right. Um, yeah. so that was like my first experience running a business. And since that time there were, uh, you know, other companies and my, you know, the last company have become pretty big. We are, we are actually uh, at the verge, you know, within, within the next few, you know, very, very soon we, 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 should, we should go public. Um, wow. So at least one of the companies that I started kind of came out a long way. Um, but, but ever since, you know, hiking and backpacking. Which, because- which speaks to the, to the amount of stress and, and, and you yeah, know, yeah. overall busyness that you, that you had in your life, right? It's not Absolutely. something that comes lightly <laughs> to bring Absolutely. the company to this size. The, the, this is classic Silicon Valley, starting companies, funding companies, dealing with VCs, dealing with partners, dealing with customers, trying to raise three kids. Uh, mm. You know, all the ups and downs and trials and tribulations, all, all this very much, uh, you know, adds up to both a, a fair amount of success, which is important to have mm-hmm. in life, but also a, a, a good deal of stress that that comes along. Right, um, right, right. So it kind of brings us to uh, you know this passion of mine, which is which is largely about spending time outdoors and largely about kind of evangelizing the importance of you know these kinds of experience in uh, you know everyday lives of uh, you know normal humans, uh, and yeah. it kind of led me to this idea that. Perhaps there is a way to help other folks remove that barrier. Uh, I ended up uh, starting a company around this. That, mm-hmm. that my, surprise, my surprise, right? <laughs> really, my answer to like all world's problems. Oh well, you can you can <laughs> have a company that can that can do that. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, two years ago, me and uh, and my friends that are my hiking buddies, the, the people mm-hmm. that like GMT with me who very much share the same same passion and same values and same sense of purpose. We said, listen, we all learn about late in life and we learned it recently and, and we, uh, you know, it's all very fresh in our minds. We think that we can uh, package that experience for somebody in a set of services um, and right. really significantly uh, lower barrier uh, that it takes for somebody to, uh, you know, start, uh, start enjoying the outdoors. And and, yes. and so the concept of ride on track was born, and um, we are very close. You know, probably, uh, hopefully, like a month away from bringing to market what we call all inclusive backpacking vacations. Wow! <laughs> very good. Yeah. Tell yeah. us. Tell tell me. Tell me about it. How does it work? Okay. I obviously, I obviously uh, browse for our listeners. It's rideontrack.com. dot uh, com. Yeah. And and. Yeah, so 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 please uh, tell yeah. us about you know what's the idea and how it works. 
Yeah. So if you go there now, you'll, you'll find some set of services, but we are, you know, we haven't launched all inclusive backpacking vacations yet. That's slotted in, in, in April. So, so really soon, uh, we are working really, really hard on, on less finishing touches, but the idea is to really open access to outdoors, uh, great national parks to literally everyone. Uh, with people of all, uh, you know, ages and abilities. And lots and lots of people enjoy outdoors. Lots of people go on day hikes. Lots of people visit national parks. But there is a big difference between, let's say, uh, you know, standing at the rim of the Great Canyon, looking down and saying, wow, this is incredible. And then saying, hey, I actually have three days. Why don't I actually go down there? Why don't I go right. to the Great Canyon, Right. Uh, set up the cam, sleep under the stars, you know, and, and, and this is this, this is this thing, right? That, that this is, this is, uh, where that experience changes from just, I hop off the car and just go somewhere and come back, uh, where you really never have an o- opportunity to fully detach from your day to day life. And, and this is, this is different when you're actually going in. And I think, I don't know if you agree with that, but I think that the, first day in the morning you wake up and you have like this half day or day already behind you and you have this whole day and this is where it's like different different mind frame almost different mind frame for sure but just a sense of discovery just sense of wonder what actually means to walk down great canyon step by step switch by switchback and actually see and feel how descending down kind of cuts through this uh, you know, 3,000 feet of feet of stone wall and then working yeah. hard to, you know, get yourself up, you know, on a day two and a day three and feeling this incredible sort of accomplishment when you are back at the rim looking down in complete disbelief that that's where I had been. This is what I just have done. Um, so to me, this yeah. just brings things together it's discovery it's wonder it's seeing things and places you will never see before uh you know otherwise and challenge yourself and overcome all these you know frankly challenges and complexities and feeling like such a winner from you know from all that uh that, that's all part yes. of it and, and uh I, I do believe that absolutely anybody can do that maybe with a little bit of help so be it Great Canyon or, you know, Yellowstone Park, we can, you can go and, you know, see the animals and touch the animals. But now how about you actually put on the backpack and go walk through the, through the gazers and you sleep, right, under, under the stars mm-hmm. or, or Yosemite or, you know, or, or, or any of the other uh, wonders. And I'm talking about U.S. in general, but, but absolutely same applies to uh, fantastic trails in, um, in Europe or Latin America or, or um yeah. Um, as um, so yeah, right on track aims to simplify all that. We are going to launch, uh, around, uh, just American trails, actually 2020, we're, we're going to focus on California, Sierra Nevada. And if that goes well, mm-hmm. then start, start going after other national parks. But the idea literally is okay. So you say, Oh, wouldn't it be great to spend four days around 4th of July, uh, backpacking in Yosemite with yeah. my girlfriend? or my friends, or my grandchildren. Uh, and then you can come on right on track and say, well, okay, great. What is a great four-day itinerary? And everybody is a little different. So you could say, well, I think I could do maybe five, six miles a day. 
And a group of, you know, young, young friends in really good shape, they'll say, bring it on. I think 15 miles, not a problem. Give me a, give me a great walk of like 45 miles, right? That I could do. Mm-hmm. In so you can find a very well detailed and laid out itinerary that is going to mm-hmm. tell you day by day, step by step, here's what it looks like. You're going to drive over here, leave your right. car. At this trailhead, first day you're gonna four four months four hours into it. Here's the river where you are gonna refuel. By the way, great lunch spot, and then you continue here, and here is your first campsite, right? And um, so it's like a hiking buddy that you never had, almost that that you yeah, go and, and 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 sharing that knowledge and say, okay, I've been there, and this is what you do. Yeah. So part of it is just an itinerary that actually tells you how it goes and gives you you know a lot mm. of details around that. And the second part of it, you know, good maps uh, and guidebooks yeah. are going to be generated yeah. around the trip that you want. And the and the fourth, third thing is all the gear. So gear yes. is a different story. One of the big barriers to this is gear, and the barrier in two ways. Number one, it's actually expensive. Good, yeah. good gear. It will cost you, you know, well north of a over thousand dollars to put this together. Um, and unless you do this often, that's quite a bit of an expense. Second thing is you actually have no idea what gear you need. That is something that is, uh, you know, not that easy to, to put together and it comes with experience. Yeah. Uh, so we, we, you know, we know all of that. So we prepackage complete gear and gear lists from, from, you know, soup to nuts, from, from tents to backpacks, to cooking equipment, to sleeping mats, to everything. Yeah. And uh, you can rent them for three days, four days, five days, seven days. Um, oh, all, all on your website? Uh, we'll provide you with that. Yes. Wow. And, uh, yeah. So that's uh, that's a really important third piece. The fourth piece is the food, the meals. Actually, yes. meals, what to bring, how to cook, how to balance sort of nutritious diet, weight, right? Uh, that's a whole different science in and of itself. Do you, do, you, do you prefer do you prefer kind of like a you know uh, dried food like prepared that you just stick into water and you or is it like uh, you know proper meals that you're that you're that you're making because I, I know that people who are doing uh, this sort of trips then when they're coming back they're just sick of the kind of this you know uh, freeze dried or whatever you call it food which is which is not, not the greatest what so, so I've been on both sides of that. Yeah, I've, I've tried many different things in these three in these three years. Freeze dry could actually be quite decent, um, uh, but it has limitations. It's it's also quite expensive. And then on the other spectrum, you could you could cook delicious meals on the trail. Delicious yeah. it makes your evening even more romantic and even more memorable. Uh, so. Uh, we, we are creating complete daily meal packs. You could say I'm going out for five mm-hmm. days and I'm going to say, here is a five day, you know, meal plan, which has breakfast, yes. lunch, dinner, snacks, you know, everything that you need balance for calories and whatnot. Um, you could wow. switch that you like, or you don't like, there's quite a bit of choices. Um, and, uh, uh, there's two types of meals, if you will. One is based on freeze dry. If you really, really, really don't want to cook, you just want to boil some water and pull, pull, you know, pour it over. You could have complete meals based on that. If you want to actually cook on the trail, then there is a whole set of recipes and the meal kit around that. 
Yeah, but I presume you need to carry the gear to actually do the cooking, right? You need to you need to have a cooker with you and all, all the other stuff, which kind of adds to the difficulty. Is this true? It's included. So all the cooking equipment that you need is included in the gear list. Um, so oh yeah, but I mean, you have to carry that with you. You you carry everything. That's the that's the yeah, thing, right? So I'm saying like. Uh, so, so I suppose this is a question for you. Is it, would you say that uh, people who are just starting and they're, you know, less fit, that freeze dry is probably more suitable uh, because uh, no. they, you know, they don't no. have to carry all the all the gear to actually prepare the meal. Actually, no. The weight difference between two meals will be non-essential, like uh, probably less than a pound. In both okay. cases, you're really. Extremely, extremely like calorie dense food. Uh, and you're gonna get cooking equipment. In any case, you have to carry something uh, that is gonna boil water. So the yeah. difference between the weight of stuff you need to boil water and weight of stuff that you need to also cook, it's it's negligible. It's gonna be like I said, you know, less than a pound altogether. Oh wow! So it's it's a preference, and I actually would recommend people to to cook on a trail. It's wonderful, romantic, and. Uh, uh, and very satisfying in, in many ways. So this is like the fourth piece, right? So between sure. the dinners mm-hmm. and the map and the, um, and the gear and the food, you have almost everything. The remaining pieces is a lot of information about trail, things like, things like where to get your permit, uh, you know, what are the regulations, everything mm-hmm. that you need to know. And, uh, you know, fourth one is kind of a support slash coaching. Um, yes. You- Somebody that you can ask questions. You have somebody that you can go over your gear list. You have somebody who can actually show you how to set up this equipment. Um, uh, and the standard pieces of equipment that we that we add to every trip is a satellite uh, satellite communicator. Uh, mm-hmm. Take with you. Part of it is for security reasons uh, and safety. Yes. It happens. You press the red button, <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, it connects you to the rescuers. Uh, but the other part of it is that you actually have a support from our crew on the other line. So if you have questions from the wilderness, then you can communicate and we'll, yes. we'll, we'll help, help provide those. Oh, answers. that's, that's, that's great. Listen, Victoria, and is it, is it all happening kind of like on, online and through the mail or, or you, you know, you actually uh, can meet physical people and, and, you know, I'm thinking now about, for example, like you mentioned, going through the list of your gear. Yep. Is it kind of like all remote or is it like someone physically looks at your gear? And So we, we'll see how this thing scales. But at least for the pilot this year, we are focusing specifically on the one geography, which is a, which is a Sierra Nevada. And we're doing it largely so that we can hand deliver the deer, gear. Mm-hmm. So there is a you know, drop off that happens in the physical world. We're going to meet yes. people along several, uh, you know, locations which are access points to Bay Area or Sierra Nevada. We'll hand deliver the gear. We'll set up uh, an appointment around that where we'll go over gears, answer your questions, you know, set up that tent on the lawn if you want to see how that works. Mm. Uh, and, uh, yes. you know, make sure that you're well ready. But in addition to that, uh, planning this trip is a long process. We anticipate people like booking these trips uh, well in advance, weeks and months in advance, and then working to prepare. And fitness plans is a part of it, and research of different kinds is a part of it. So we anticipate providing a lot of remote support uh, through emails, right. from phone calls if necessary, um, you know, every step of the way. 
Right, right. In terms of uh, in terms of the fitness preparation, and in terms of like mm-hmm. what 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 you what would you what would you say to anyone who wants to start trying? Where where to start? Because you said that obviously gym mm-hmm. didn't work for you. So yeah, what what would your advice? Very different thing. So I would say that the place to start are enjoy local hikes on local trails. They hike, getting out, uh, you know, going for a trail run if that's if that's your thing, or just going for a short hike. Uh, it is so accessible. Um, some people live in a flat country, some people live on the hills, uh, but everybody has access to hiking. It could be urban hiking, it could be rural hiking, it could be mountain hiking. You could go to the near park. Uh, that is that is to me the place to start, and you will start enjoying the process, and then the fitness kind of builds along the way you want to go faster right you want to go longer my first uh, you know my very first attempt to climb the local hill it was it was a six mile round trip three miles up and three miles down it took me yeah. seven hours seven Bye. hours I'm gonna die on that freaking hill uh, <laughs> and uh you know now it's um you know one hour up 45 minutes down uh, yes. and, uh, you know, it's just almost like run up, run down uh, type of experience. It, it all do you prefer to do you prefer to go up or you prefer go down? Which you which one you find <laughs> easier? Which what you prefer? You know, people do do this a lot. They assume that going down is is, is easier than going up. Now, I will say this: is that I like having gravity on my side. You know, I'm not gonna like <laughs> lie about that. Uh, going down is a lot easier and a lot faster for me than going up. In terms of what I like both, yeah. oh, I like both. They present different challenges. Yeah. Uh, once you get in the right mindset, that's a big part, learning to put yourself in the right mindset. And you understand with every step you get higher and the views get deeper, right? And accomplishment get more, you know, more pronounced and more empowering. You, you enjoy these, uh, uh, yeah. you know, long <laughs> excruciating sessions <laughs> <laughs> you know the reason the reason i ask about this is because uh i think there are two types of people like you said one who i i'm the one who prefer to go up than down mm-hmm. uh and i was wondering why uh, i i think that first of all i i find like a mechanically as a body mechanics kind of easier to kind of uh kind of climb rather than uh you know make sure I'm not going too fast and fight the gravity. And then the mm-hmm. second thing is kind of like a sense of achievement, right? You're going up and you using your body and your muscles to go up while you're going down. It's just like, oh, you know, I'm, I go down. I just need to, you know, make sure I'm not go too fast. <laughs> it's like, so yeah. it might be easier, but some people, and some people are on, like me say like, yeah, yeah, I much prefer to go up. You know, that like you go up, hike up and ideally, you know, magically be, be lifted by a helicopter from the, from the top of the mountain. Well, I think, I think some of these descents are kind of a soul crushing because yeah. it's like, you, you just work so hard to get up there. It's like, now I'm going down. I'm losing all that hard work. I'm losing all of that accomplishment, right? Because yeah. I know I go right back up at the next, <laughs> the next pass. And it's like, why are you, you know, God, why are you doing this to me? Um, but it, exactly. it's all part of the whole thing. Yeah. Listen, uh, and in terms of uh, one of the things that, that I was really uh, wanting to ask you, in terms of boots and or, or shoes or hiking boots, uh-huh. what would be your advice? Uh, because 
again, mm-hmm. you know, as far simplifying that hugely, I see that right now there are like a two really types. One uh, boots that are really heavy on the on the on the hard uh, uh, sole, and you know, like scarpas and all these things. And then you have this this trend of the minimalistic yes. hiking boots that are very light and flexible mm-hmm. and you know, obviously there is like a, a sea of articles on the internet that says like, no, you know, the five fingers, the minimalistic, they're good, they're bad, they're they're going to cause you injury. No, this is how the foot should look like, work, how the foot should work on. And and what's your view on that? And what would you recommend for, for people? So here's my view. There's really, you know, there, there's three classes of shoe wear. You mm-hmm. could do big boot, right? Um, and then uh, uh, those things are designed to give you maximum stability. They encompass your ankle. Uh, they give you just a lot of support. And then all the way on the other side, you have something like yeah, five fingers. You, you have uh, um, some people hiking sandals, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you have people who hike PCT, IT, CDT in sandals. I am completely minimalistic. Uh, I've I've met somebody on uh, a John Muir Trail who was uh, hiking barefoot, um, wow. and so 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 there is that you know fairly extreme crowd, and then right in the middle there are trail runners, which yes. are very lightweight, mountain worthy, uh, uh, usually non waterproof shoes. So I'm I'm squarely in the yes. uh, in the middle. So trail runner is is my gym. Um, and I have converted many people from from boots to uh, to trail runners. Uh, not so much, yes. you know, sandals is fairly extreme. Uh, but the usual dilemma is, and and you know, this endless threads on the on the internet, which is boots versus versus trail runners. I, I'm convinced it's trail runners is a way to go. Um, there is almost no exception to that. Um, they are lightweight. They provide minimal support to your ankle. But what they what they allow you to do is they are all ankle to do its job. When I yeah. started backpacking, I wasn't just out of shape. None of my body parts were really used to do any of the real work. And so uh, I struggled a lot. I had a fair amount of injuries. And one of the things I was doing a lot is rolling my ankles. Right. Uh, and the uh, you know, reaction, initial reaction to rolling your ankles to say, well, I need a lot of support to prevent that from happening. And mm. after you roll your ankle, it takes a long time to recover. It, it takes good, you know, six months until it becomes fully stable. Um, and you want to put in shoes that are going to, you know, all encompass and provide that support. Um, and what I've learned the hard way and what I substantiate by research later on, I think a lot of people don't realize is that if they put the big boot around, which deprives ankle from its natural ability to be the stabilizer. Where does this all pressure go to? It goes to your knee. Ha! Yes. Some, something needs to absorb that pressure. Now, ankles are designed to do that. If you wear minimalistic shoes, over time you train your ankle to be strong and adaptable and, and absorb all that balance. If you do not allow the ankle to do that, it's going to go to the next joint, which is your knee. Now, you do not want to put that pressure yes. on your knee. 
and uh, you know between knee eventually given you know given in versus ankle you, you definitely want to keep it an ankle we, you can continue and you, you you could put a knee brace now if you actually tie down your ankle and you put your knee brace what absorbs all that, that? Goes hip. <laughs> oh it goes up right so so it's gonna be uh, <laughs> you yes, know where it's gonna, yes. it's gonna go. it goes up the uh, chain it's go to your hip yeah Exactly, goes to your hip. You don't want that to, to, to happen. So, so to me, minimalistic shoes, non-waterproof. That's another one. Waterproof, non-waterproof. Um, yes. People like uh, in the wet environments uh, when you have a lot of river crossing, uh, they will take non-waterproof boots because it allows them to like jump over rivers or creeks, right, or hop from a boulder to a boulder. Um, I'm in a completely different camp. I'm wearing exclusively non-waterproof shoes. I will forge every river that I can. I'll enjoy my cold feet in every creek that I can. I let it breathe. I let it dry. And, uh, uh, you know, wet feet doesn't bother me, you know, in the least. I kind of embrace it and enjoy it. Okay, so there's a few things I I, I want to talk to you now. So first off, on the on the on the on the subject of boots, and this is exactly what I experienced firsthand uh, with wearing those heavy boots. That all of a sudden I developed knee pain, and mm-hmm. I was like for years and years wondering like what is up with that knee. And uh, you know, I was at the physio and one physio and second physio, and they were all looking at the boots and like nobody, like nobody, and like you exactly say, this is this is where your ankle becomes dysfunctional and it cannot do its job. Mm-hmm. However, like in in my case, what was what was funny was only one knee for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the other knee was like you know obviously the same boots on both on both uh, my feet, but one knee was developing this problem while other other didn't. So that mm-hmm. that was that probably took me a while to to figure that out. Was that something that you're that you're experienced that just only one knee is having a problem in the case of the? I I, I do I, I do have you know bigger problem on one knee and another. Part of it is because I actually had a knee injury and had my meniscus repaired. But the yes. other thing is during that, you know, fateful John, John Muir trail trip, it, I, there was a lot of adventures and some of them were anticipated and some not. And some were, uh, you know, voluntary and some <laughs> not in the list. As um, usual. <laughs> and, um, and I did roll my ankle and I rolled yeah. my ankle badly and I rolled it twice. I rolled it on beginning of the third day. And uh, it looked bad, and, and, I, and I got off the trail, and I thought my journey or trail, you know, was done, was, was devastated. But I made my way to the nearest emergency room in Mama's Lakes, and uh, they yes. looked at it and did an x-ray. It wasn't broken, so I slept on it, tied it up, and climbed right back and rejoined my party and continued. And uh, seven days later, just when I thought that it started to heal, um, I, I re-injured it again. And, wow. uh, and it was, you know, bad and ugly. And I thought for sure I'm done. And I had to exit the trail one more time, make my way to the second emergency room to Fresno, uh, kind of rinse, repeat, uh, get some painkillers, wrap it up, uh, you know, go back, climb, rejoin my friends and, and finish the trail. So I ended up walking like 155 miles on the sprayed ankle. Oh, uh, and, uh, and, and that did have lasting effect. And, and the effect that it had is that I, w- I, I put on the brace, right? So I put on right. the brace and I put on the boots. And so the ankle opposite 
to the uh, to the uh, excuse me the knee on the leg opposite to the one it, it took all the heat right I was limping uh, so yes. it, you know, the pressure was put on the on the other foot and and that kind of devastated my other ankle for uh, other knee for a while. That's 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 very informative, Victoria. That's very very informative and, and important. Um, so now on the second uh, subject on the boots, waterproof and non-waterproof. Yeah. Um, is it does it have to do anything with the climate? Because obviously, I, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it's not obvious. But I I am imagining those those trails. The sun is shining. It's hot and nice, and you know having a uh, uh, crossing through the river and and feel the cold water on your feet can be, you know, very nice and, and even good for for uh, you know uh, cooling your body. Uh, however, if you're if you're hiking in lashing rain and wind mm-hmm. and you're going through the grassy field that is you know all wet and your feet become wet after you know minute five of your hike uh, mm-hmm. i i don't think it's gonna end up well so would would you caveat that that you need to pay attention to the weather or well, would you say like you just need to get tougher well i would say that in both scenarios that you described the answer is still the same for a principal reason in both cases you want non-waterproof shoes and the main reason for it is is that if your feet are going to get wet anyways, and they're always going to get wet in a wet environment, because everything is relative and waterproof is relative as well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, no waterproof shoes can really stand up to, you know, terribly abusive, wet, uh, wet, wet climate. They are going to get wet. But the problem is, is that once they get wet, they don't dry and they don't breathe, so you're carrying more weight, you are not letting your feet breathe, and you're not letting your, your shoes dry. And, uh, and it offers no advantages whatsoever over uh, shoes that is actually designed to, um, designed to get wet, designed to dry quickly, and designed to let your, let your feet uh, uh, breathe. I, I have a really good illustration to, uh, you know, the latest scenario, which is very recent. Over Christmas uh, break this year, I, uh, I had a, an amazing experience backpacking in high mountains of Peru. Yes. Um, there is a so-called Asangate Trail. Uh, which circumnavigates a monstrous uh, six-and-a-half-kilometer-high Asangate mountain. That, that's about 21,000 feet. And there is a high trail that goes uh, somewhere around 5,000 5, meters, right, between sixteen and 17,000 feet. Um, and you, it, it's about 45 miles, and you cover six or seven high passes. Uh, absolutely incredible land. Uh, the typical hiking season is from uh, uh, like March through October. Uh, when yes. it's summer here, it's winter there, and their winter is dry. But when it's winter here, it's uh, summer there, and summer is very wet. And so yes. have for this, uh, you know, four days that we were on that trail, it was basically nonstop. From above, we had... Uh, we had rain, hail, snow, winds, 
often several of these things at once. And from below, uh, you have mud, which is what all trails turn into, and uh, and water, which is just running all from yes. all the over you know over rivers and um, and creeks and lakes and whatnot. So you're usually walking either in the water or in the mud, and it is pouring from 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 top bottom. So I was wearing my general you know typical trail runners, yes. and. Uh, um, it was it was perfect. I could not imagine what a dread it would have been to be wearing some kind of a heavy uh, waterproof boots, seeing it yes. getting wet and heavy, and uh, you know not being able to you know dry them up. Yeah, well, that's 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 very interesting. I, I'm I'm not gonna say that I'm convinced to to non waterproofs. But uh, you know that conversation makes me want to try and see how it uh, and see how it goes. It's a little bit kind of counterintuitive because you have your waterproofs on. You know, you have your waterproof jacket and your waterproof trousers, and then notion of you know being dry here and having wet and cold feet kind of uh, you know seems odd. But you know, perhaps that's something to try and 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 figure it out. Because I completely well, agree on the on the shoes that should be light and and you know let your your feet work. I th- I think the key here is that you you actually want to give it a chance to dry, and it is a a very significant part of the overall you know comfort and experience. And and again, breathability. Even when we talk about uh, rain gear, yeah. you need to have yes. it also balance, right? It also needs to be breathable. We could have yes. things. That protect us from the wetness and the rain better, but the expense of breathability and, and you know, we all know that does not work in the long run. So yes. rain protection is not absolute either. There is nothing that will truly protect you from, you know, all encompassing rain. You're not going to stay, you know, completely dry all the time. So the question is how quickly can you, uh, can you dry up <laughs> when opportunity presents itself? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. That, yeah. Exactly. Listen. Uh, one other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Listen. One other. One other. One other question I, I have is, um, I would like you to comment on safety issues on those trails, especially mm-hmm. on those remote trails and uh, mm-hmm. you know multi-day uh, treks in the in the in the wilderness. Sometimes in in completely different countries. Uh, what what are your comments in, in relation to safety? You know, both uh, from from the side of wild animals and so on, but also from you know other malicious people, locals, and so on and so forth. So safety safety should be concern number one, and it starts with research and education. You know, part of it you really need to know what you're going to be up against, and uh, you know, safety includes you know not getting hypothermic on a, you know, cold and wet night and essentially being able to, uh, you know, protect yourself from range of weather conditions. You need to, to know precisely what you might be looking at. Um, it might be the terrain and exposure and risk associated with that. And if you don't do your homework yes. and without that there is a river that you need to cross and that river is too steep and you don't have the skills or you don't have a good judgment not to get into that river, right, then you're risking your mm-hmm. life. Um, yes. so things like water crossing, things like, uh, snow travels, right. And snow, snow bridges, um, they're, they're all parts and parcels. Part of it is, uh, uh, preparedness. Part of it is skills. Uh, if you're going to go into, uh, you know, snow mountains, then you have to have some technical skills. Uh, yes. you need to 
equipment and, and you need to know how to how to use it uh then there is uh then there is animals right um yes. animals in different parts uh, of the world uh, you know they're real and, and as everything else you need both education knowing what to expect and how to behave uh and just good judgment call in the field i had a last year was kind of fantastic for me for many reasons i I hiked about nine nine hundred miles, uh, and uh, wow. you know, for somebody who did not do a big through hike, that that's a big mileage to spend in a in, in a wild. That's huge, uh, huge mileage. <laughs> and uh, and I got lucky to run into several amazing animal encounters. Um, yes. Uh, so one of them, I could, I could tell you about a couple. Actually, three are Please. four. Four. Jesus, there's at least four that were like really really wacky. So, mm-hmm. so one of them, you know, everybody's favorite is a bear. So mm-hmm. I very, very literally ran into a black bear. I was mm-hmm. in a remote part of the, of the PCT. Uh, and I was coming out of this sharp turn into, 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 into the river crossing. And yeah. so as I turned, I, I almost literally stumbled upon this black bear that was bathing in the river. And the bear was, was, was uh, you know, startled. And he jumped out of the river and made a lot of noise. And he jumped on the shore and he stopped maybe about 20 feet away from me uh, and, like, studied me. And, you know, I'm looking at him and he's looking at me. And then it did just something very cute. It just kind of hid behind the tree. It walked its head outside, like, like watching me. And then and, and obviously confrontational he was just uh uh you know trying to figure out what's happening and and wanting me yeah. to go I snapped a few nice pictures and went on my way um wow. that was one the the other was i was alone on uh on also fairly remote part of the trail and suddenly i see something comes from the tree like whew, something jumped from uh-huh. the tree and landed about again maybe 20 25 feet in front of me and kind of froze yes. and i and it, it's like, oh my gosh, it's a cat. And I'm like, oh, it's a big cat. Wow. I'm like, oh, it's a, it's a lion. Bucket. And I go, oh, it's a bucket. No, it's okay. too big for a bucket. bucket. It's like a mountain lion. No, it's so oh small. Oh my God. It's a baby. Uh-huh. No, it was a baby mountain lion. It wow. still had, it was a few months old. Um, right. It kind of jumped out of the tree and got startled by me and just kind of froze. And it froze and looks at me, and I froze and I look at them, and uh, and then I'm thinking, where is mom? <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, exactly, exactly. I heard like that when you're when you're hiking in the mountain lion country, uh, yeah. you might not see mountain lion, but damn sure mountain lions see you. That is for damn sure. I got lucky to see like three mountain lions last year, but that was like wow. And so like 30 minutes later, it just. Whew, jumped right back in into 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 this tree and um uh-huh. and i'm like okay the coast is clear and then i'm walking under that tree and i'm thinking you know please you know like please 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 mom wherever you are you know i didn't harm your baby you have no interest in me <laughs> uh-huh. so there and then one time in february i was in yellowstone and it was the winter mm-hmm. yellowstone and i went out on the skis uh yes. and so you Experience to, to try to get around, you know, winter mile, you know, Yellowstone ski. And yeah. uh, I was coming off the, another turn, and right in the middle of this was uh, a giant bison. 
One thing that they teach you in Yellowstone is that bisons are everywhere. So you in a car, you know, don't don't come within a few feet from a bison. Uh, yes. Or if there is no physical object between you and them, and, and then all of a sudden, like, oh, oh, man, <laughs> here it is. Here it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, something like that. <laughs> the weirdest of them, you know, wow. what was the absolute wow. weirdest? The weirdest one was in Sierra Nevada uh-huh. last year. Where uh-huh. I was, uh, I was in a remote canyon. All these things, I was I was solo. Uh, so I, I just I don't know. Lucky me, I guess. Um, I was sitting uh-huh. down the. Canyon. I needed to stop somewhere for a night, and then I hear just a weird noise. There is a ringing of a bell. Yes, and it's spooky because you just don't expect it. And yes, I'm like, okay, exactly. So I'm. Uh, it's getting dark. I'm proceeding very cautiously. And in this clearing, I find like three abandoned horses. There's clearly no people. There is nobody. I don't know if they're wild or what, but they're out there. And one of them has this bell right on its neck. I'm like, okay, okay. And I'm, I'm animal person, but I'm not horse person. So I don't really know what to do with horses. So I said, okay, guys, you know, nice to see you. And I moved on my way while horses move behind me. Well, eventually I settled for the night and I put up my tent um, and uh, that damn horse would go by me all night long and it would ring its bell, wake up and I would afraid that the thing will stop on me, uh, step on me Uh and didn't know what to do. So that was like weird. I would yell at it to go away and it would go away and come back in five minutes. (laughs) Wow. Wow, that's that's, and I guess these are these are sort of the adventures that you're you know. There's only one way to 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 experience that. Oh that's, yeah, that's, what 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 a memory it creates. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. Part. So what's next for you? What are your next plans? Where are you going next? So uh, still keeping you know the work life balance and having to having to do little trips. Um, while I'm still, you know, doing doing a lot of things full time this year, um, I have a few exciting things. I'm going to spend five days backpacking in Utah, Grandes Colante, wow. in April. Mm-hmm. I am really excited about eight day expedition to Alaska, Brooks Range, mm-hmm. in June. Yes. Oh, Brooks Range! Yes. Wow, and you're and you're going there also in your non waterproof shoes. Uh, oh yes, of course. Wow! Wow! Uh, that kind of that kind of convince you know that kind of Victoria that kind of convince starts convince me to non waterproof shoes like uh, I I you know something in the back of my head just says like Tommy you need to toughen up. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're gonna love it, especially if you use the waterproof you know boots or trail runners. You're gonna absolutely love it. And then in August, um, I am planning to spend the week uh, backpacking in Karelia. Which is uh, uh, it's like between northern Russia and southern and Finland. Very yes. very beautiful. Wow. Land. Yeah, but also cold, stuff. right? It's it's gonna what what temperatures you're expecting there? Oh no no no! It's gonna be beautiful. End of August gonna be just a beautiful summer. Berries, okay. mushrooms, fishing. Oh, that's gonna be great. And then yeah. uh, speaking. Of like really big projects. I really hope my, my big hope and, and training is next year. I want to take sabbatical in the summertime and hike PCT. Wow. 
Yeah. Well, well, listen, I I wish you uh all, all the success and and this is, you know, this is fantastic journey uh that you just described. Uh just for for our listeners, would you would you would you mind say it again uh where to find you and uh yeah. how to get to right on track and and just just for for Yeah, absolutely. So, we are on the web at rightontrack.com, uh track T R E K we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, and you can always reach me at Victoria at rightontrack.com. That's perfect. Uh, Victoria, is there anything else that we didn't cover, but you wish we did? Uh, no, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And once April rolls around, please check our website. We 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 absolutely will, and uh, you know, let's stay in touch, uh, and maybe we'll do it again. Victoria, thank you very much. It was pleasure talking to you. Fantastic! Thank you so much for having me. You just listened to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. I invite you to take a moment and listen to one of the most recent episodes. I'm sure you'll enjoy it.